All right, everybody, and welcome to today's and this week's Yawa. Uh, Anybody that follows us on Instagram may have seen the post that I put out last night saying, preparing to shoot Yawa as I sipped on some bourbon. And unfortunately, we ran out of time last night. So instead of bourbon, Ethan, this week you get slightly over-caffeinated, Ethan. Let's get started. Let's get started. Hopefully he doesn't uh, answer these questions too quickly with being on caffeine overload. Hey, now. I'll help him slow down. Just enough. So we got a couple cool things to talk about. First of all, this weekend, actually. So you will be seeing this prior to us actually going because we do have a little bit of a delay in some of the videos that come out. But we will be going gator hunting, a.k.a. fishing, a.k.a. whatever exactly it is with a really good friend of ours and we'll be in Louisiana on the far eastern border near Mississippi kind of and this will be the second time I've ever done this it'll be the first time Kat has done this and yep this man is ready he's told me we're gonna fish some deep water he wants to catch a big one he's caught some big ones before last year he said he got like uh, an eight footer which is a good that's gator. a dang big gator. Yeah, which last time that I went would have been... Oh, man. Eight years ago, maybe? Seven, eight years ago? Something. Yeah. A while. Yeah. And that's what we got. My my uncle and I both went down. We both got eight footers, and it's a, it's a, big, uh, it's a big animal. And I think the crazy thing to think about is he's talking about hopefully we can get like a 10 or 12 footer. Well, you think about... A 10-footer. Two foot is not that much extra. That's probably pretty close to two foot, don't you think? Mm, yeah. The distance between these microphones is like 18 inches. Yeah, if you want me to get a tape measure, say. I can go do that. But um, the, the thing about it is when you get into those longer length alligators, they almost get exponentially wider for every foot they grow longer so So the longer they get the wider they get so they turn out to be really big yeah a 10 footer is drastically larger than an 8 footer and a 12 drastically larger than a 10 footer so it's kind of a cool exponential growth pattern and he's got some some big plans you know it is fishing hunting but we're gonna do our best to video document put this together so that you guys on our channel can watch our gator experience and some highlights from the trip yeah, hoping it turns out, but we will keep you posted on that. And Aiden's actually going to be road tripping with us, but not helping us gator hunt. We're nah. not using him in the baiting process, none of that. Yeah, we got him hung up there above. We got to keep him like 8, 10 inches off the water so we can get a real big one and just have him dangle there, right? No, absolutely not. And Aiden it's not bait. safe for him to come out in the John boats when we're checking the lines or anything like that either. So he'll get no. to hang out um, with the family that we're staying with while we're out doing the actual gatoring stuff. There is a chance if there's some teal in the area that we get a little bonus teal hunt and we will do our best to document what happens. Um, And then as far as some other cool stuff, we do have some few videos that I want you guys to be tuning in, paying attention to the channel coming up very soon. There are some questions that get asked a ton about how to properly go for walks and how to manage walks with young dogs in town with people with dogs with distractions we're going to try and set that up with our little thunder pup who is in the perfect time frame to be horrible at that and need some management yes and then we've got a video talking about how to help those uber fast eaters a lot of people are struggling with that and then the last is going to be is your dog ready for collar conditioning these are three really big topics and they're going to be coming out very soon so be staying in tune with the channel. If you don't already, hit that like button. I always ask for it over here. Um, hit that like button, subscribe, uh, give us a thumbs up on this video. Now, let's get started on some questions because we had some really good ones this week. We did, and I think they're really good ones to answer because it is nigh on hunting season for people. So, first question from Matthew Shero. I have a 10-month-old Griff who has had her bird and gun intro, and we are starting to set out pigeons and launchers. I would like to get her some more practice at a game farm. Are there any tips for a successful training day? Are there any training things she should know before we go? Hmm. There are probably a few. Yeah, so this is a good question, and 
Um, it sounds like you're still in the training process and not quite to the hunting process. And I want to draw attention to there is a difference between getting a dog um, tuned up on a preserve for the hunting season that has already had hunting experience and a difference between taking a young dog out that's had a few pigeons and launchers and getting them a little more real hunting-like experience prior to actually going hunting for their first season. So there are differences. And we actually had a question about that at another time. So if you're listening, you'll get your answer. Yeah, the um, the big thing that we have to look at is, first of all, the list of stuff that we already put together in a video that says, these are the things that you should have before going hunting. If your dog has those things, which it doesn't really talk about 100%. Yeah, it asks what should they know before going. Okay, so we're going to want you to check out that video. It covers the things, but the gist of we go into more depth there. But the gist of it is bird and gunfighter introduction and... Basic understanding of recall, collar conditioning, so you can make sure pup's coming back to you. Those are the big ones. The rest of it can kind of... Learn as you go. Learn as you go, and don't expect perfection, and you will be all right. Expect lots of mistakes and to help them to learn and develop. Now, the next side of it is, if you're going to this game farm, you want to try and utilize it more as a training situation. Don't get all six or seven of your buddies out there all blasting away at one bird, blowing stuff up, overwhelming your dog. You can think of them as babies, right? And they need to take those small steps to get to the end goal. End goal, we can have five, six, ten people, whatever, shooting away all different directions, and the dog's going to be able to handle that. We're not to that point yet. So use it more as a, a one-on-one type of situation. Try and get somebody to come gun for you so you can pay attention to your puppy and help them through that by making sure the situation's right. You know, birds flying away, they don't see it. Don't be shooting wild flush stuff right off the bat. Just make sure that everything is focused on. They're paying attention. They see what's happening. They know what's happening, and you'll be a lot better off. Yeah, utilize it as that baby step between a completely controlled setup situation with launchers and pigeons to being on a full-blown wild pheasant hunt. You need that middle ground for some of that connections to be made for your dog. And if you take each bird individually, slowly break that down into what do I want my dog to truly be able to accomplish out here? What are my goals? Well, you're most likely going to want your dog to search productively and hunt the field, not just walk on a path that's mowed through the preserve. You're going to want your dog to break out into that cover and find birds for you. You're going to want them to point them and you're going to want them to be able to retrieve them. So think about all those pieces. And when you get your dog out there and if you are struggling with any side of those where they're not breaking into the cover, help them get into the cover, move into the cover. Don't just hunt that path. I know some of these preserves are set up where there's strips of food plots and then walking paths. Well, if your puppy is uncomfortable getting into the thick cover, help them out, get in the thick cover with them. Um, If your puppy hasn't had any experience and has never smelled a pheasant before, but has been pointing pigeons, they're might gonna bump that first pheasant because they don't know that that's an important bird to be pointing as well. So don't just shoot that one for them. Um, They make a mistake, maybe help them on the next one. You've done some woe training potentially, introduce that cue. Um, And then if they're making a retrieve, keep in mind a pheasant is a lot bigger than a pigeon. And they're typically a lot hardier bird. So even if you hit them, they might not be completely dead when your dog gets on top of them and they could be running, they could be flapping around, they could be spurring. So that dog could be a little hesitant about making those retrieves on a bigger bird that's still flapping and pretty, pretty lively at times. So you want to make sure that you take time to work through some retrieves, not just grab that bird, shove it in your bag and let's go get the next one. Let's work through a few hand thrown retrieves after that bird's dispatched so that they can build some confidence on a bigger bird. Yeah. Slow it down a little bit help them through the process. And that's a big part of what our program is based around. We got to think about, and that's why we even, it gets brought up on occasion. You may hear us use the term cue, not command. And we, um, we aren't force breaking dogs. We are training them, teaching them, developing them. And I think that taking that mindset, it's, that's part of like a baby step to a mindset of don't get frustrated, figure out, What can I do to help them in this situation that they're obviously struggling? And you're going to be a lot happier in the long run. Yeah. The smaller steps you take to get there, I think the faster you'll actually get there. So 
All right, what do we have next? Next question, which actually really segues very nicely, Ethan. Good job on that. From what we were just talking about, this is from Isaac Turton. Do you have any other YouTube content creators or podcasts that you would recommend that have a similar philosophy or Ah. style in training? Already started following Lone Duck Outfitters from your suggestions. Uncle Bob. So... Awesome for taking our suggestions in our previous Yawas on checking him out. He's been putting out some new videos. If you haven't had a chance to look at them, mm-hmm. head on over there, look at them. I think they're on a schedule the of somewhere between two and three a week. So that's awesome. It's going to be a lot of stuff start rolling through. And we're actually, uh, I didn't mention this in the beginning, but we're going to be headed out there again uh, to do a little more work with him and I'm going to shoot a couple of videos for us and then we'll end up putting uh, trying to help him maybe if I can, just because it's nice to have extra video people there to get a few more videos in his queue coming up too. And now, I don't get to go with this time. I know, but Hey, next time I'm, I'm putting it on the docket for next time. So I want to start with, there's really not a lot out there. We've looked, there are quite a few other um, dog training channels, but the thing about dog trainers in general is ask 10 dog trainers, get 10 different answers. And that is a very commonly used, you know, joke amongst trainers themselves is there are uh, 101 ways to skin the cat, right? I mean, it's all different, but I think if you look into it, um, it's great that you mentioned that. It's awesome that you already follow Lone Duck. Uh, Bob's a great guy. And I think even though you're going to see differences, you're going to see similarities, it's going to be an overall similar feel of an approach that is, how can we help them through this? I see they're struggling. And most good dog trainers are that way. They understand this dog is struggling and we're not going to try and force the, you know, round peg in the square hole or whatever. We're going to figure out a way to help them, whether they 100% realize this or not. There is no such thing as a cookie cutter training method. It doesn't work for all dogs. And I think that there was more of that um, in the past. You hear about washouts and field trial washouts was a big thing, but that was even more from a, a sense of the dog didn't have what it took. You know, that dog needed to be able to be big running and steady and do all of these things. And it doesn't have that. They're competing at a higher level. When you come back down to the average dog trainer that's trying to help your dog be the best it can be for you and what you're looking for. um, We've talked about ceilings. Not all dogs are created equal, but we're still going to try our best to find the way to help them to become the best that they can be. Now, All of those things full circle. There are not a ton of other YouTubers out there that are doing similar stuff to what we're doing other than uh, Bob that's rolling into it now. Um, There are a few podcasts. Uh, Most of them are going to get you into a whole different realm of dog training stuff. And also, um, I know Bob has a podcast too, just throwing that one out there, but there is a whole different realm of dog training world that you're going to get into. They utilize collars. They're going to get into the more of the, the science and the psychology, I think would be the proper term, like how the dog's brains work, behavioralists, things that are talking about why dogs do what they do, how to work through some things. But I, I'm going to say right now, I enjoy learning. I enjoy listening. I enjoy watching them. And there's not very many that I've found that were worth my time to continue listening to for one reason or another. It's just like, didn't feel like there was new, fresh information on a regular basis. It was kind of turned into the same two guys talking about the same two things and they never moved on. So if you find something, tell us because I want to know, but I don't have a lot of great options for you. And the other side of it is, so our channel, we really want to help people and educate and teach And part of that is by showing you an actual training session. That's what our channel revolves around. We're not taking dogs that probably sets us the biggest apart apart or sets us, you know, different, whether it's better or worse. It's, it's what makes us different. So Um, you can watch us work through something and see that, Hey, you know, if you were watching Thunder's last place training video that we worked on, I had to work through them through some things during that session to make some progress with him. Um, And I had to adapt in that actual session because he wasn't necessarily reacting to the vibrate 
enough. I needed some more stimulation and that allowed me to add that in that session. And I made that adaption then. Um, so I think that our videos have that, that not a ton of other videos do. I know when we were out shooting some videos with Bob, when he started some of his videos, it's, it's going to be similar, very feel. similar you know, feel like that way. One take type of this yeah, is what this the is training a live training like. session yep. though we're shooting it and it's going to get put up on YouTube, you know, next week, just because of the way that editing happens and editing in a sense of making sure the audio that we've got on our lapel mics matches up with the video, not, Oh, we're going to cut out the stuff that didn't go right. Yeah. Um, it just takes time to get that scheduled. So, okay. So this, these are a couple of these are coming in to me that might be decent options to look at. Um, there's one that I have seen a couple videos that he's put out. It's called Simpatico. S I M P A T I C O. He is uber sciency. Um, all of the, the right verbiage and, not like, I don't want to say we talk down so that you understand, but when you start jibble jarbling a bunch of science words about operant conditioning and whatever else we're using it about this confusing. is, yes, it, it, it detracts from the information we're trying to pass on. He's pretty sciencey about it, but does a pretty good job breaking it down. He does not show live training sessions. He does show small training clips involved in a video but he's got some good stuff. So that one isn't one. That would be one that's not bad to look at. Um, there is another guy. His name is. Uh, he's got the beard. If you, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe not. Um, and I can't even say that I absolutely love his videos. He does a lot of talking and they're all really long. They're like anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour long. I've never made it through an entire one of his videos. So, and that's watching them on double time. If you didn't know you can do that, you can actually speed up these even if you, you want if to. If Ethan's not already talking fast enough for you. Yes, you can speed it up and I'll talk. But you can, um, <laughs> you want me to repeat that back to you? But he, um. You can bump them up to like 1.25 or one and a half. So you can cut down the time that these take here. I watched his because he's a little bit slower talker on two speed and watch him walk around real fast with his dogs. And he has kind of a cool approach to helping adjust dogs and everything else. So that's something you can take from it. It's, he allows dogs to kind of live and work as but a pack you don't and remember help each what other. The channel's called it's. I think Ronnie, I think is, uh, can you, can you YouTube? Yeah, quick? I can. I, yeah. Producer. Producer. Let me look here. Ronnie. I think it's Ronnie. He's one of the bigger YouTubers. Uh, there's another one. It's called Zach George Dog Train. You can just move on about that. That guy's just Click a goofball. Bait. He's just a goofball. Um, another one that's pretty good that combines several different things, and they do a lot of consults, would be McCann Dog Training. Um, I can't really speak to the fact that they have... Uh, a similar approach to what we do, but some of, if you're looking for specific things on, they do a little more behavioralist type stuff. So that would be one to look into. It's McCann dog training. Um, How do you spell it? M-C-A or M-C-C-A-N-N dog training. It's him and his wife, uh, again, that they primarily do um, training consults and things like that. And I will... I'll find this before this is over. I'll by part three, I will have figured out what this guy's name is. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to the next question while I continue to look. Oh, here it is. Stoning, not Ronnie. Stoning Dennis. Um, and stoning, like here's a video right here. This one's smaller. It's like teach children, teaching children to teach puppies. And that one's short. Um, but it doesn't it's not the same approach that we take from uh showing an actual video of a training session standpoint he'll show dogs that kind of understand stuff pretty well and there's not much to it and it's him and his son he's kind of a goofball but it's fun a lot of people have said that they can relate to him and some of the stuff that happens ah, some of these are really short some of these are really long american versus english labradors part one and two it's a total of three hours of video so he does not have a problem talking if you have a long drive and you want to listen um, but all in all, those would be some of the bigger ones that I have actually watched some of the videos and they do a decent job. So there's a, a few other ones out there that, but um, those would be a couple that I would check and 
even if it's just for you're looking for some more information on a specific topic that pops up that we don't necessarily have covered yet. Great question. And that's probably all we have time for in part one. We will see you shortly in part two. back for part two of this week's Yawa. If you missed part one, go back and you'll understand why I'm talking really fast today. As well as we did talk about some of the upcoming videos we have planned, which is really exciting. They answer a lot of common questions that we've been getting recently. And we thought, hey, let's shoot some videos on this. So check out part one to see what's upcoming. This is your first video you're finding on our channel. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up, throw a comment down saying first, last, here, love it, whatever. We love the comments. We love the interaction. Um, and I do get to a huge portion of those from a response standpoint. So speaking of the comments, that's actually where we're getting all of the questions. Oh, we forgot to say that in part one. I know. Hopefully Ugh. people from part one watch part two. Yes. So all of the questions that we get for our Yawa videos are from... The comments on our YouTube videos, especially our Yawa videos. But if you put Yawa question and then write out your question on any of our videos, that's what I'm pulling from to get questions for next week. Yes. So uh, we thought we're shooting this on YouTube. We're putting it on YouTube. We're doing it for the YouTubers. So why don't we get the questions just from the YouTubers where we used to pull them all off of Instagram before? So yeah. So let's go ahead and answer a question. From Abraham in Virginia. Hey, Abraham. I have a 14-week Chesapeake Bay Retriever male puppy. He inhales his food like no other dog I have ever seen. Sometimes I don't think he even chews it. He sometimes gets bloated after eating, and while playing or walking, he throws some of it up. Mm. He must have had to work hard to get food when he was with his siblings. Great food motivation to use for training. I'm trying to use his food for training, but sometimes I'm forced to give the whole portion in a bowl. Any advice on slowing him down? Great YouTube channel. I have learned so much. Thank you, Abraham. So a couple of things. First of all, I want to say thanks for the question. Second of all, I want to say food motivation is a fantastic thing. Um, It also goes hand in hand typically with a dog that's willing to work and is excited about work. So and it's it not doesn't, something to be... Yeah, and I was going to say, it doesn't necessarily mean he had to fight for resources yeah, with his litter mates. No. Um, that's not necessarily why your puppy now is so food motivated. He may have a tapeworm. Could be. That was kind of a joke, but um, okay. <laughs> I don't know where you're going with Yeah, this. I was like, well, I guess we're giving veterinary advice now. No. Um but on a, on a serious note here, uh, we're going to do a video on this because it's a question that a lot of people ask, and I'm going to show you a magic trick to it. Our go-to, though, would be utilizing food in training. It's going to help slow that process down, prevent the bloating, and then you're going to have to watch the video later this week, beginning of next week. So if you aren't subscribed, do it. That video will come out and showing you our secret to help with the dogs that scarf their food and get that bloated type and or vomit afterward, try and eat it again, all of those things that happen, we've got a solution super fast, super easy that will fix that. Yeah, and just the last couple things, um, not sure what you're feeding or how much, but definitely make sure that you're feeding the proper portions for your dog. And I know what you're saying as far as like, sometimes they get so frantic almost with eating that they can't focus on a training session. And then you're saying you're giving them almost their whole meal in a bowl so that they can focus. So that's something to keep in mind. If your puppy is super food motivated, maybe have them do a few reps and give them a portion of food instead of a kibble at a time. Allow them to go, oh, I'm not so hungry now. I can think, I can focus, and then use the rest of the meal for that training session. Absolutely. Now that we're on the food topic, this is a question we've been getting a ton, and I have some news slash reports for you. I do not have all of the information, okay? So... A majority of people that follow us know that we feed Yukonuba dog food and have been for quite some time. 
Um, we've been really happy with that overall. Now, the thing here is these are, let's get this right here, should pop right in focus, Bebop, and you can see the new formulas and or adjustment of formulas. This is a change in look and a change in overall dog food and for the better, I would say. Um, we've been really happy with it. What people are struggling with is a lot of people have been feeding the 3020 and that has kind of disappeared from the shelves. And they're like, what do we do? Where's the 3020? That's what we've been feeding. Um, that is coming soon. I know that we have it. So it can't be very long before some of the other places are getting it back in stock. They just had to clean out the old 3020 that's going away. Uh, I can't get that back in there. So we're just going to leave it out and talk about the different options. So for all of you out there, there's a few different things. They have four formulas, one of which is Sprint. That's going to be for dogs, excuse me, that they specifically talk about more doing agility, dock diving. They're exercising pretty heavy, but it's all sprint related stuff. Short bursts of energy. Yes, that Not is. Not that short and intense. Long yep. amounts of time that they're expending that energy. Short and intense. Um, a majority of the people that are watching this have some form of versatile dog, and a lot of those versatile dogs are going to feed one of these two middle formulas. You're going to have exercise. That's 2616. That's 26% protein, 16% fat. Then you have sport, which is the 3020. Uh, that's going to be, again, 30% protein, 20% fat. And one of those two options are what we're going to recommend for adult dogs. These are adult dog foods. If you have a puppy, we're feeding large breed puppy food. We recommend if you have a large breed dog to feed that. It's a calorie restrictive diet to a, an extent, which is going to help prevent your large breed dog from growing too fast. That's what it's there for. Now, when you get into these new formulas, if you have an easy keeper, somebody that feels like you'd barely have to feed them anything and they're plump, 2616 is going to be an, a better option. So you can still feed that close to the recommended amount that they're, they're, they're putting on the bag, which is through your vitamins and minerals and nutrients being properly. Um, in those portions. In the portions. Yep. And they're going to eat that three cup ish range of the 2616. We have some of our dogs that are a little bit older, slower metabolisms. And even some of our slightly younger dogs that just have slower metabolisms, like Quest eats 2616. Next now, his metabolism started to slow down. He's eating 2616, and they're eating about the same amount of food. They're on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, uh, Legend is just over a year, so he switched to adult food. He's kind of struggled a little bit to keep the weight on because he's got that high metabolism. He's burning it off. He moves a lot. And... Vex, he's still in the peak metabolism range and moves a little bit more. So those two boys are eating 30-20. They're eating three cups. The other dogs are eating three cups, but you get different calories associated with those. And then if you have a dog that's really struggling with weight, you see like I feed them all the time, they're skinny, scrawny, then you can move into the 30-28. It's primarily um, formulated for dogs that are doing like sled dogs, extreme athletes, extended amounts of exercise. That's what that increased amount of fat is for. It's going to help them to have extra energy for longer periods of time. And then that is a 30, 28. Um, there are a few dogs that I know in the short hair world that could probably benefit from that, especially in hunting season. But on average, 30, 20 is going to be good enough. Now, the coolest part about this whole deal is these are all based off of essentially the same you know, fiber profile, if you will, uh, the same catalyst. They are one in the same with a little bit different fat and protein content. So you should be able to switch between, or if you kind of need that happy medium, mixing them to get a, uh, you'd be like a 28-18 if you're equal portions of 30-20 in theory. Um, but you have the ability to mix back and forth without having GI issues. So, Which is nice when you know that you're going to be hunting for a long amount of time during hunting season, you might need to bump your dogs up to the 30-20. And then as soon as hunting season's over, so that your puppies and your dogs can still eat the same amount of food, which is important, like we talked about, yep. you can switch back to that 26-16, which will allow them to not get fat in the off season. So the actual example of that, because it is a perfect one, the dog's going with me. Quest and Nyx are both coming with, no, 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 Quest is pregnant. Fingers crossed. We Hopefully. get to check that out next week. If she's pregnant, she's not coming with me. If she's not pregnant, she's coming with me. And the, but, okay, we'll just say Nick's for Scherzi. He's coming along. He's eating 2616 right now. I should be able to say 
tomorrow, you're eating 30-20 and Muddy. Yeah, yeah uh, Muddy is eating 26-16. But when Muddy she goes- Muddy might actually stay on 26-16 during hunting season. That girl, man, she is- She's an easy keeper. She's a big girl. Yeah. So, hey, don't be hurting on the big girls now. I'm not. But the hating on, that's what I mean. The- you, we can switch right over and it shouldn't affect anything, but then they're getting the additional calories that they need for hunting season. And then we don't have to go to these exorbitant amounts, which with previous dog foods in the past during guiding season, hunting season, we did, we had to feed, try and push like five or six cups of food a day, which was a lot. Too much for their stomachs. uh, This stuff is definitely not that way. So stay tuned. We will throw up information here and on other social media platforms. When we get the news of exactly where and how and when and all of the things on where you can actually get it. Sorry for the delays on that, but I don't you have it. You can get the 2616 on Chewy right now, yes, though. So that's an option. Um, and then, like Ethan said, when that 3020 becomes available, we'll let you know where you can find it. Um, and when he was referring to not anything will be affected when you're switching from 2616 to the 3020 or vice versa, back and forth. He means as far as like upset stomach, indigestion, diarrhea from a little bit of stress from a change in formula that is eliminated by having the same fiber profile, which is really nice to be able to switch them cold Turkey, if you will, and just go, I'm feeding you out of this bag. Now I'm feeding you out of this bag and not having to do a mix and transition. Yeah, because typically if you were to feed a new formula from even in the same brand, it's a totally different dog food and you would have to do a, a portion of a mix of something to help or ease that. Or deal with some upset stomachs and loose stool for a while. Which you combine that with road stress and some other things. It could get it could get pretty nasty. Icky. So, so, cool information. All righty, let's get on to a question. Next question from Daryl Riddington. Had a great game bird season here in New Zealand. My nine-month-old Vishla pup made 300-plus wild pheasant contacts and Holy about a dozen crap. coveys of quail. That's awesome. She She's a better bird dog than I'm a bird shot, so I only shot around 20 for her as this season as it was about letting the birds teach her. Now that bird season is over in the Southern Hemisphere, I want to keep training on pigeons. So the Yawa question is, how many times a week would you run a pup on pigeons? And can they get stale on them? Daryl from New Zealand. So this is a really great question. And it was really cool and interesting because I didn't even really think about it, that people that are hunting in the Southern Hemisphere, like New Zealand, they are on an opposite hunting schedule season than we are. So their seasons are just wrapping up. Our seasons are just getting rolling. So kind of a cool uh, contrast there. But to answer your question, Yes, you can definitely overdo the set up pigeon work or preserve hunting type of scenarios for a dog that has had 300 plus wild pheasant options. Um, They are still young, though. They're nine months. So there's a lot of um, more training that you can do with your dog. However, you just need to be careful that you're not overdoing it or setting them up on dumb birds and dumb situations that they can learn naughty habits. And what we mean by that is... Some birds um, that are preserved birds, well, let's face it, most preserved birds are not going to be wild. They're not going to be flighty. They are going to act like preserved birds. And your dog just got off a lot of wild birds. So they're going to know the difference and they're going to learn the difference. And they're going to learn that they could overpressure those non-wild birds and get closer and closer until they can almost get right on top of them. Um, And that's just a naughty habit that you don't want to encourage and allow to progress. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of, we were going over some of these questions before, and this is uh, like a uh, poke at Ethan and his inability to understand geography. It's like, uh, the Southern Hemisphere is done. I was like, I thought New Zealand was, He you thought know, it was like next to Iceland. I did. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> I was wrong. I, I've got a pretty good idea on stuff. I just didn't know that New Zealand was right next, next to, to Australia. Australia. Yeah. I didn't know that. So I didn't. And I've never been there, so I didn't really need to map it out um, to And swim. high school geography was a long time ago. It, it was a long time ago. It's I been know. a long time since I looked at the map or the globe or any of those things. But, um, so. I knew. I knew where New Zealand was. Cat knew. Yeah. And I just always think about New Zealand and, and hunting game, red stag. Um, it would be kind of a cool thing to go do. And I it's Just nice to know, know now that a majority of that's going to happen during the summer. So it's not going to mess up uh, whitetail hunting here in the States. So I guess so. But 
So to answer your question, yes, you could definitely overdo some of the naughty things that your dog could learn. But there's a lot of things that you can work on in the off season, um, depending on how your dog did. You can work on some more steadiness. You could work on specific retrieving if they need formal retrieving work and then throwing in more obedience. Um, but definitely you don't want to overdo it. Think about it from a, a respect of uh, you know, like any kind of a discipline. If you play the piano or you play an instrument or you are an athlete and you do whatever it's it would be the the bare minimum mundane simple drill and you say i'm going to repeat this over and over for example i'm going to do layups all day every day when i'm playing basketball or i'm going to practice this underhand toss to the first baseman if i'm playing baseball any yeah, I, I'm just going to play <laughs> whatever that is. I never took piano chopsticks lessons. on the piano, yeah. even though I can play really cool stuff that challenges my mind and challenges our abilities to do things. We're not going to do anything challenging. We're just going to point these non-moving, simple targets in the launchers that do the same thing every time. Either you're going to come up with some kind of way to entertain yourself, which is eventually going to become more challenging and or naughty. develop naughty habits from a bird hunting standpoint. Or you're going to develop resentment. It's like, I don't want to go train today because all we're doing is layups or all we're doing is something boring. But challenging them, like you said, so working on some more advanced steadiness or something like that wouldn't be a bad option. Yes. So add some variety. And then as far as the overdoing aspect of things, keep the session shorter. You don't need a whole bunch of birds in the offspring, off season, excuse me, to, you know, do stuff. You're going to cause more problems than you're going to. Once a week would probably be plenty if you've got time on the weekends. And our dogs, I mean, our dogs don't even do once a week though on bird contacts. It depends on what they're working on. Like legend, he will be because he's younger. Cause we're going to be working on steadiness stuff. Sure, Some true. of our older dogs less often because they've already done all that. So it's not challenging for them. So, and then keeping them conditioned in the off season is usually our number one priority so that we're not coming into hunting season and having to work so hard to get back into our cardiac and musculature conditioning. I think if we kind of put a ratio to it of, let's say, um, for every one day in the field that you work birds, let's say, um, you take anywhere from two to three days that you spend in that same field without birds. That's the key. Because if you only have small training areas, which a lot of people have a, a, the same 20 acres or 40 acres or you know, 10 acres for that matter that we train in, um, the dogs can get really hyper sensitive to those areas. And then you start developing bad habits too. So let's go run, let's go work in that area and show you not every single time we go out there, there's a bird behind this same bush and, and whatever. So So, that they don't get overly cautious and act silly. So if you think about that as a one bird day to two to three days in that field without birds, and then you incorporate that into your schedule, you know, and you're probably always at, put emphasis on obedience training. Yeah, you're probably looking Can't at go wrong with that. Birds every two weeks or something like that. So, great question and interesting to hear a little bit more about New Zealand. All right, have we got time for one more quick one? We do. So we're going to squeeze this in here from Brandon Banton. Have an add-on question to last week's steadiness. 14 and a half month old GSP who is going into his first real hunting season. Cool. He is steady to flush. Then after I flush, he chases missed and unshot birds, but recalls when called or goes to get the retrieve of the bird. Sounds like a great way to be headed into the first season. for sure, for hunting them. This is great, but long-term, I would like him to be steady to wing shot and fall. My question is, could it be detrimental to his steadiness training next year if I spend a whole season with him being only steady to flush and shooting birds for him, or is this ideal situation for him to be successful with steadiness next year? And is there anything steadiness-wise that I should be doing that will help him with full steadiness training next year, i.e. woeing him on wild flushes or woeing him if he happens to bump a bird, etc., or just hunt him and shoot lots of birds? So that lots definitely pointed birds. That definitely was not uh, just a quick question. There's a lot of cool stuff that go involved with that, but we can probably bop it over from part two to part three. Um, so stay tuned and we'll get your question answered in part three. I didn't um, realize short how short we were. No, no, no. Short answer though okay. is, um, no. No what? What was the question? 
was the question was can he hunt his dog that way study to will it cause a problem or that was the question will it cause a problem for advanced steadiness for next season so the short answer is no he also asked if there's anything that he could be working on steadiness wise for training next year okay so that's part of the long answer (laughs) see you in the next part that's the end of part two folks we will see you in part three very soon Grew. Welcome back to part three of this week's Yawa. <laughs> Ethan is mad at me because he asked for a short question at the end of part two, which I did not provide because it's me, let's face it. So we are carrying over the last question of part two to the first question of part three. So if you have missed part two and part one, go back, watch go them. Go back and watch them and then come back to this. Yeah. Hit subscribe, hit like, and then follow along as we answer that question Meow. So we've got the situation where you're saying, is this going to cause problems if they're not hunting steady to wing shot and fall, if that's your end goal in the first season? Is that going to cause problems? And the answer to that is no. Now, the big thing that we have to look at is breaking down bird dogs as a whole. You kind of have, um, well, hunting dogs as a whole incorporates all three of these sectors. You have super, super, I may be off the screen. You have the really pointing oriented dogs and you have versatile dogs and then you have flushing, retrieving oriented dogs from an upland side of things, more flushing and then retrieving is involved in most of the three sequences, but you get progressively better with retrieving, give or take. Progressively better with retrieving, progressively better with pointing. Yes. And having that middle ground is really nice where they do both fairly naturally. But you shade one side of the line or the other a lot of times because that middle section should be more like a line. This would be a perfect 50-50 split. And Which no dog is perfect. No, no dog is perfect. But you have dogs that shade this direction and you have dogs that shade toward the, the flushing retreating side of things. So if you look at that back in the day, and this is a, this is, I'm going to tell you right now, this is a broad Gross generalization. So please, nobody get hurt by these comments about specific breeds and everything else. But English pointers, bred to be field child dogs, bred to be bird dogs, bred to be pointers, and run big, run big, do their thing. That more traditionally is kind of what they were and have been in the United States, anyhow. And those dogs are extremely easy to steady up, extremely easy to keep steady to wing shot and fall. And probably if they had one thing, um, that they're going to struggle with is or was in the day uh, retrieving because a dog that lacks retrieving desire is going to be easier to keep standing and pointing birds. Um, and a lot of those trials don't even necessarily involve retrieving. I don't believe Brittany trials do. And correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. I don't believe that a majority of pointer trials require retrieving. And there are some retrieving stakes in both, but then there are Britneys and pointers would be the big ones. And then I know there are some other, but I think most of those other cross into, in our area specifically, Oklahoma is a big Britney area, pointer area, Texas, big, more pointer. It's like pointer, pointer, Britney, Britney, short hair. That's kind of how the progression up from Texas goes. And you are looking at the pointers themselves. They typically point and don't do much retrieving, or they have to be taught how to retrieve and more or less made to retrieve and then can kind of develop a good enough habit. And then through breeding, some people have said, I really want our pointers to be able to do both, but you're still shading that direction. You have a dog with a lot of pointing instinct that has a little better understanding of retrieving and with a little bit of work does a great job. I've seen that. And some of the lines, um, L. Hugh has done a pretty good job moving that direction. Um, Fiddler's Ace would be another big name that's older. All right. Does date my pointer knowledge here, but be older, Fiddler Ace dogs. And then, uh, you know, some of the more field trial based stuff like uh, Honky Tonk Attitude, which was a pretty big pointer in the field trial world stuff for a while there. Um, 
It's out of Miller stuff in Missouri, maybe. Um, more toward pointer field trials. So they didn't have to retrieve or they don't have to retrieve in a majority of them. Anyhow, Brittany's, you can run into some that are the same. Stand all day because they weren't originally put as much emphasis on retrieving. And that has changed in today's day and age. But then you move into some of the versatile breeds. Those are going to be uh, short hairs, big one. And then you have Vishla's wire hairs, uh, draughts, and DKs, which are just as much different breeds as the others in there. Um, technically, the Britneys are considered versatile breeds and pointers are considered versatile considered versatile breeds. They're just not always as good at it or as commonly used in those situations. You have Weimariners. You have a bunch of obscure, if you will, breeds, which are going to be Spinonis, Brocco Italianos, um, Brock Francais. Brock Francais. What are the Portuguese pointers? Uh, are they just Portuguese pointers? They're not. But there's another name. Can't remember. There's a whole collection of them that fall in this middle round. And you're going to be somewhere shaded toward more pointing instinct, less prey drive and desire, or you're going to be on the opposite end where they've kind of gone a little too far and you have more catch and kill and flush and retrieve tendencies and you've shaded a little ways away from that let's point stuff and you end up kind of having to teach a little more in that department so when you're looking at those then you get all the way over into flushing dogs and there even are a few of them that people are developing for pointing like pointing labs and some dogs lack a little bit of confidence in their department which aims more that hesitation can be developed into a pointing dog and bred on and created better ones so i'm not hating on pointing labs it's just a new thing so it's going to be less consistent as let's say, buying a pointing dog. Um, but you have that mixture of all of the things going back and forth. So now that all of that is said, I've kind of lost where I was going with it. It was important. So we're talking about should you steady your dog up Correct. prior to the hunting season Thank you. that is 14 months old and is ready for their first hunting season. Okay. So now going back into the three parts. Thank you, honey. I appreciate it. Um, you have your pointing breed dogs. Those dogs you could take and steady from day one because they have less retrieving desire and it's not as important. And you're probably going to have to kind of teach them anyway, how to do it. So it's not going to matter if they're steady from day one or not. You have these middle section and this is where your trouble comes in. If you have a versatile breed, you have to evaluate this. If they have that pretty good balance of retrieving desire and pointing desire, if you start taking away that retrieving game, which is, and taking away the chase and taking away all of the things that gear more towards the retrieving and flushing and exciting aspect of this spectrum too soon, they're going to start to resent the training um, or can, and you're going to run into issues. They may, um, they may require a fair amount of handling to get them there because this side kicks in, but you, you need to be careful with that. And our recommendation with the average versatile dog is that they're making it through a season so we can get through some mental maturity. We can get through some ability to understand what's going on out there. Learning their purpose, especially on wild birds, because it's not a specific controlled setup situation like in training. Yeah. They're learning to use their nose. They're learning not to overpressure birds. They are learning to mark. They're learning to track because a lot of these birds, pheasants especially, you might hit them and they're wounded and then they hit the ground running. Well, if you've got a dog that you're not allowing to break until you send them to retrieve, they're way off that confusing. bird. And then they're trying to put all of these pieces together that they're just learning to put together in their first season and they won't be as successful. Whereas if you wait to do some of that steadiness training until the spring after your hunting season is over, which is what our ultimate plan is with Legend, who's mm -hmm. 13 months old, so very close to the same age as your dog. Um, we've done formal retrieving work. He's had formal woe training. We've done a few basic steadiness drills of having him stand through some thrown pigeons, which is the basics. All of, in the yard, not applying that to yep. field work. Just getting a little bit of an understanding with that, similar to what we started with Hatch's training series yep. on steadiness. If you haven't seen that series yet, it is complete showing our method, if you will, of step-by-step -step and Every dog that comes through the program is going to go through those same steps. They may take a slightly different approach or require more reps of them, but it's the same steps. 
essentially. Yep. And then, um, but then we're going to just let him hunt, let him learn. Like I said, all the things that he needs to learn. And then coming back into the spring, we're going to move right into that steadiness training and get him ready for some tests where he has to stand steady through wing shot and fall. So our ultimate recommendation. Yes. Would be to wait until after that first season and then put the most emphasis on moving to steady to wing shot and fall and maintaining it between the second and third year of life. That seems to be when the versatile dog's mental maturity really comes into its prime. Three-year-olds are a heck of a lot easier, make a heck of a lot less mistakes, and just understand that more advanced thought process better than a puppy. Yeah, so mental maturity, understanding what they're supposed to be doing, everything's going to happen after that first season. It's a fantastic question. All right. Next question from Justin Levine. I have a 10-week-old lab and am working on her intro to retrieving based on your videos. Awesome. Fantastic. She loves her puppy bumpers, and I only bring them out when I am going to throw it for her. I have been using a hallway that limits her to only walking back in my direction. She gets super excited and aggressively chases down the bumper. However, once she gets to the bumper, she likes to start chewing it or playing with it rather than retrieving it. How should I correct this? Is this something where I should get let her mature a little more, or perhaps remove some of her play toys. I don't want to keep throwing her retrieves and establishing a bad habit. So Justin, this is an excellent question, and it's so great because you're taking so much that we have mentioned and shown in our previous videos, and you're utilizing that where only allowing her to use training bumpers, having those bumpers only available during your training sessions, using a controlled environment like a hallway. So those are all really great things. And it's a great question. We're glad you're answer, asking it here. And I want to say that for anybody else that's watching right now that wants to see one of their questions asked, we are pulling all of the questions for these episodes, if you will, from the comments below. So throw your comment, Yawa question, and then type out your question. So a couple things that I want to mention um, as ways that you can help work through this is keep your session short so she is excited throughout the whole process. Maybe only do two or three retrieves so that she's not getting tired and laying down to chew on that bumper. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Another option would be to, and an option that you can combine is to throw a check cord on her, even in the house, so that if she tries to lay down, you can give her a couple little tugs, redirect her, get her attention back to you to get her moving back down the hallway towards you. That would be number two. Number three, and this is one that's probably going to be Kat's unpopular opinion, controversial, is your puppy might just be playing with toys too much. And I yes, think that the average puppy plays with toys too much. Yes. and uh, From a bird dog standpoint. Let's go bird dog standpoint. Because okay. if you just have a pet and they do, they're chewing and, and mouthing, rolling, whatever, things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're but just dogs. If you're Keep trying to develop a dog that's going to be a great hunting dog and retrieving mm-hmm. birds and things for you in the future, um, t- teaching them and treating them like a bird dog, like a hunting dog um, that you have expectations is really important. So having too many toys that your puppy can just play with willy-nilly, lay down and chew on, there isn't a huge difference to them at this point between that and the bumper. And though you're only using that specific bumper for training sessions, it's still as similar to a toy. And that's what she gets to do is lay down and chew on toys and stuff. So our recommendation might be to remove some of the other fun toys that she gets to do those behaviors of laying down and chewing with. Um, and only giving her specific like edible chew bones and treats because puppies do need to chew. They still need things to occupy them. Um, and I'm not trying to be a, you know, Nazi on, we don't play. We're no fun. You know, we're not fun suckers here. Uh, I'm a fun sucker. (laughs) Ethan's a fun sucker. I'm not a fun sucker. Uh, but we try and maintain, you know, expectations with our toys too, which is why squeaky toys aren't something that we recommend. Uh, people ask us all the time, what toys do you let your dogs play with? I'm like, Chew bones? Chew bones and... Little know, puppies get toys and for a little And this while. puppy's only 10 weeks old, so there still needs yeah, to be some Yeah, but think about the toys. toys that... Well, think about the toys that right now, Clutch, who is just over 10 weeks old, right around. 13, 14 weeks old now. Okay, so he's into the next month of stuff, but it's... Anything your dog is conditioning, we say this a lot. Which is why you said you don't want to create bad habits, so you're trying to find what to do next. Anything they're doing, they're conditioning themselves too. So you just have to, when you're switching away from toys is what I'm getting at, is when you start to see these bad things start to develop, because like Kat said, they're the same. It's a toy. The bumper is a toy, even though you're keeping them separate. Um, 
the mouth habits are what you're what you're watching develop there. Yes. So um, our adult dogs, especially, they don't get any toys to play with. They could get chew bones every once in a while. They'll steal one of the young puppies' toys and then they immediately destroy it. So um, we don't give them toys either. Yeah, and every once in a while, Grandpa steals one, tries to eat it. So yeah, it's... and that causes problems as well. So I would say your three big things: remove extra toys use a check cord and keep those sessions short. So great question. We hope we were able to answer that for you. Absolutely. All right. We had a ton of really good questions. We did have a ton of really good questions. Um, So this question is awesome. And it's awesome for a couple of reasons. Nate Brugman, eight month old female Labrador, trying my best to introduce her to different people for puppy socializing. Mm -hmm. She gets so excited every time at eight month old. Yes. Okay. At seeing a new person or someone she has been around multiple times, lots of jumping, scratching, and occasionally piddling. I got the DT rap 1450 and she does great while walking with commands, but doesn't seem to help around new people. Most people have said she is just in her puppy stage Thanks in advance. Really like your videos and has helped a lot. So great question because this is a question we honestly get asked a lot. Um, how to help your dog a lot, a lot. behave properly when they're meeting new people. Second reason this is a really good question is we are going to be shooting a video about this very soon with Thunder because yes. he's, he's going on six months old and is very much a establishing those I jump up, I act like a nut with when I meet people. Yes. Third reason this is a great question is because Ashley Nicole, just somebody else on Facebook or excuse me, YouTube, jumped in and answered this question. And sometimes that happens. And I'm like, well, you're kind of right. But I also want to add this to it. Or I'm like, no, don't listen to that person. They're just a keyboard warrior. Or I'm like, man, girl, you're spot on. And she said, This may not be the answer you're looking for, but your puppy doesn't have to have physical contact or greet every person or dog she sees. Even small training sessions to teach him or her to be calm around people, even at further distances, are more beneficial to the puppy. That's still socialization. Teach calmness first. And that, like I said, spot on, really great advice to understand that your eight-month-old dog doesn't have to interact with everybody because anything a dog is doing consistently, they're conditioning themselves to. So if mm-hmm. your dog meets new people and that's their MO of jump up, get all excited and crazy, then that's how they think that they need to interact with everybody that they meet. Whereas if you can keep your distance and maintain those calm behaviors mm-hmm. and talk to the person that you're walking up the, to meet. The person is the biggest point, part of the problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, people in general, and I, I love you people, but you're the problem. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the fact that society believes that anytime they see a dog, there's an open invitation to come pet them or, uh, you know, and, and the thought and process get, that not this just is pet them. get them all excited and act like a-holes, you know what I mean? But essentially what you do is you set up your puppy to understand that any person they meet that's new, they get to do whatever they want and they're naughty and that person's going to get them so excited and that conditions and that it's behavior be and fun. that response. Now you got to think about uh, the service dog industry, okay? So there are a lot of different service dog options out there as far as what these service dogs are doing but a majority of them involve very similar types of early development and training Um, with um, C&I dogs would be one of the biggest ones because they have to be uber focused on what they're doing. But the majority of them still provide really important services. And when they start with puppyhood, they go out, they don't get, they're working, right? They don't get to get attention from everybody or everything. Now, that physical interaction that gets them excited. Also extremely well socialized. So they have to be. How do they do it? Well, it's just proof that the, it's not a requirement to be greeted by every single person, in every situation in order to be well socialized. It's more about the events and the environments and, and the places. how they react to those environments. Yes. So Um, setting your personal dog up for success is going to be, you know, curbing the puppy petters and allowing those situations to happen, which is going to be a lot of what we're going to show on how to go for a walk in your neighborhood, which we don't have one. So we got to go find a neighborhood, but we're going to show how to go for a walk in the neighborhood, how to interact with those people and how to help handle your dog through those situations. 
So great question. Be looking for that new video very soon. And thank you all for all your questions this week in our Yawa series. I'm out of coffee. And he's not getting any more. <laughs> and we're out of time. And speaking of coffee, if you saw these mugs, you like these mugs. All of the mugs that we're doing are going to be a limited edition. This will be the only batch of these that is created. So once these are gone, they're gone. If you like them, we have a few left. And then we will have a new model, if you will. Uh, Second coming out. edition. Second edition coming out very soon. Very soon.